0: Well, good morning, and turn with me to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. The title this morning is the blessing of unity. Uh, Paul Robinson and I went to the Philippines, and uh, this was one of the the main things that I saw there. Because when we first got there, we went to a pastors' conference in a city called Dumaguete, and um, we're going to share a little bit more next week. So this is just kind of an intro into the message, uh, but. Unity is something uh, that there, it was just this tangible thing where you have people from all over the country in the Philippines joining together uh, to really worship the Lord. Uh, one of the pictures there, the one that you see under the sign, that is Paul and that is Joe Ross Rosmarino. Uh, some of you uh, know Joe um, just from our prayers and our support as a church for their ministry. They have 145 children, 20 milk cows, and 22 dogs and uh and and just this incredible harmony that's there and i'll tell you the unity that you you see there um when we were cleaning there was one night we had a barbecue and it was like an outdoor movie night and they showed a movie so they set up outside and and 145 kids all know the role just imagine this they set up the table they set up all the food and and the the chairs and And then when it's time to clean up, there are 145 little bodies that are moving around, everyone doing what they're supposed to do. And just this sense of unity, that was just an amazing thing. Um, Also, there's my daughter, Rebecca. So I got a chance to uh, see Rebecca first time in six months. She's been living in the Philippines for the last six months, working with uh, International Justice Mission. Um, Being there with IJM, I got an opportunity to share with their office and just the amazing things that they do to rescue And to care for girls that are just saved from human trafficking um, was amazing. And then the picture there, are some of the pastors there in the Philippines, one of them is uh, Pastor Lito, Calvary Chapel Manila, whom we uh, pray for and support as well. Um, But Psalm 133 kind of, to me, encapsulates not only our time there, but a message that I believe that the Lord has for us this morning. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 133. And if you don't have a Bible, then in the backs of the seats, there are Bibles, then you could follow along with me. So turn to Psalm 133 this morning. In Psalm 133, um, we're go- going to read this together. It says, a Psalm of a sense, a Psalm of David, behold, how good and how pleasant it is For brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, this morning, as we look into Psalm 133, the Psalm of Ascents, there were 15 of them. These were psalms, they were prayers, they were songs that the nation of Israel would pray and they would sing on their way to Jerusalem to worship. There were different feasts. You had uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you have the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles. There were certain times that all 12 tribes of Israel, all 12 counties or sections of Israel, they would come together and they would travel to Jerusalem for this time of worship. And really, it was a time that was blessed because the whole purpose of this pilgrimage was really to worship the Lord. And it was at this time that that this psalm is is kind of commemorating. It's these times of worship together. One of the things that I'm blessed by when I consider this is that even though the tribes of Israel were were broken up into twelve different sections, twelve different areas. It was at this time that they would come together to worship. And when we read about how behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, the word behold is a word we don't use anymore. Um, When I see something really cool, I I don't say, behold. Okay, that's like Shakespeare, right? That's like a, a play that you would go in old English. But behold is like, check this out. I mean, whoa, you have got to see this. So the word behold, there's a command there that there is something that we need to be able to see that is amazing. And I want you to think about this, that God wants his people to look on unity, observe it, see it, check it out when it's, when it's present. And when that unity is there, it's an amazing thing that you can sense. Uh, when you think about a classroom, when, as a teacher, when you have a, a classroom that is unified, you ask any teacher, whether a substitute teacher or a full-time teacher, when there's unity in the classroom, you could get a lot done. Teaching becomes really fun. Learning becomes this thing that everyone is participating in. But when it, it's disunified and it's not unified, you find that teaching is difficult and, and teaching is hard and you can't get from point A to point B. The same thing is true for a team. When you see a team full of individuals, sometimes a a team might have more talent than other teams. Um, I I have to admit, I'm a Dodger fan. Uh, I grew up in LA, grew up uh, going to Dodger games with my dad. Um, And in the last couple of seasons, the Dodgers had a lot of talent. In fact, if you look on their roster on paper, they probably had the most talented group in all of Major League Baseball. But there were times when they did not play together as a team. So what you see is unity is something to behold. And when it is a part of a team, you notice it. You see it. It's something that is tangible. A nation divided. We know that um, a nation divided cannot stand. You look at the Civil War. You, you read the speeches of Abraham Lincoln and you realize that a, a nation that was embroiled in civil war had to come to a place where the, the things that they had in common were more than the things that they had that were different. And for the body of Christ and for the Christian and for the family and for the marriage, if we're going to sense unity, then the thing that we have to behold is something that has to be greater than differences. It's something that, if it's not present, it's also very noticeable. Uh, You might see a a a guy like a Kobe Bryant uh, in basketball that will just keep shooting the ball every time he gets the ball, not pass the ball, and and yeah, great shooter, but not getting the other team involved. And see, there's this thing about unity that when you see it, it is absolutely something to behold. It's not just theoretical. It's not just in, in theory we're unified, but, but there was something that the psalmist saw that during these feasts of pilgrimage, as they would come together to worship from all of these different tribes of Israel, that the psalmist was saying, look at this. You could notice it, you could observe it. The opposite is also true, that when unity is not there, then things are divisive and there's anger and frustration and there's chaos, And David is speaking of unity amongst this this group of believers. And he says how good it is. The psalmist says how good it is. Now, I want to think about what it means to be good. Uh, It it means that it can be measured. There's a good quality about it. There's a moral quality about it. How good. That means um, excellent, agreeable, right, prosperous, appropriate, valuable. It's morally good. There is something about unity that God loves. In fact, when you look at the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, in God's very essence, in his nature, he's unified. In fact, when he gives us the example in the New Testament for what that unity looks like, what does he choose to use? A body, a body, the body of Christ. Um, If you're disunified within your body, Maybe you trip over your own feet. Uh, maybe you're not very, they call it hand-eye coordination. Why do they call it that? Because the hand and the eye have to work together so that you see the ball coming at you and then your, your mind takes what the eye sees and tells your hand either duck or catch it. If you don't, it hits you in the face. And, and a disunified body is, is kind of ridiculous um, Steve Martin was in a movie called Roxanne. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that, but there's this this crazy part of of that movie where Steve Martin's body will not cooperate. His left side and his right side start to fight. And he's just a brilliant comedian with, with physical comedy because he, he starts choking himself. Then he pulls his hand away and then this hand hits him and then this hand hits that. And he's, he's wrestling, he's on the ground, he's fighting. And, and when you consider... The ridiculousness of it, if in a body there's not unity, then the body's not working together and it's going different ways. So, this unity is something that is good. It is something that can be measured in well being. And then he says, How pleasant it is. It's not just good, but it is pleasant. And this is something that um, I told Paul when we were on our way home on the airplane, I, I said, Paul, the hardest question you are going to answer about the Philippines is this How was your trip? Because how do you encapsulate two weeks of really kind of life changing stuff that profoundly affects you and emotionally kind of breaks you down and it changes your life forever? And you answer that with a couple of words Oh, it was great. <laughs> like that, that, doesn't, that doesn't do it justice. But one of the things is the pleasantry of being together and being unified. Um, my, my son, Matt, was able to go with me to the Philippines last year. And some of the pastors were, were going, hey, where's your son? You know, how's Matt doing? One of the pastors there taught him how to ride a motorcycle last time we were there. And uh, they have this fellowship of darts. They are really into darts, and they're playing darts. And this one guy, he has this super awkward way of leaning over and like throwing the dart and falling over. And it was just such a fun time. They're like, "Hey, how's Matt doing?" And 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 the amazing thing is that with Paul, who is six foot eight. Now I'm just letting you know for the Philippines. I feel pretty good about my height. You know, I could, I might be able to play center on a Filipino team, you know, that, that's playing together. Uh, but when, when Paul is there, I mean, we took 145 kids to a, a carnival, and, and the people thought Paul was part of the carnival. I mean, they were looking at Paul, like six foot eight, and they're watching him, and he's like, Matt, everyone's looking at me. I'm like, yeah, that's all right, just smile, you know, and uh, he just smiled and just kept going. But the coolest thing is by the end of the trip, Paul, who is six foot eight, blended, so that it got to the point where you couldn't tell the difference. I mean, physically, yes, but uh, emotionally and connection wise, you could not tell the difference. Everyone's laughing and everyone's together. The, the pleasant part of unity, it says that um, it, it's good, it, it's pleasant, it's delightful, lovely, agreeable. And again, just like the word behold, pleasant is not a word that I use in modern language today. Uh, if I had a great time, a great meal, and if I say, that was pleasant, like, what do, what do you think? That was, all, that was all right. But the word pleasant, um, it has a deep joy to it. Um, when, when, when my son was little, and he would have good food, he, he loved to eat. I mean, the kid could just eat and eat and eat. And when he ate something that was really good, he would start to laugh, but the laugh was like a deep gurgle from his gut. And it would come <laughs> like like this is so this food is so good. And the gurgle would come up, and that's that's the place of joy. And I think that deep gurgle, that deep joy is something that is pleasant about fellowship. In fact, I, I think it's something that that God participates in it when he sees unity amongst his kids. The same way that any mother and father, when they see their kids playing together, not arguing, sharing, helping one another, there is a deep, deep joy in that. And our heavenly father takes deep joy in the brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ that dwell together in unity. That's that deep gurgle. It says for brethren to dwell together in unity. These were national brethren at the time that David was writing. They were Physical brethren, but even more importantly, they were spiritual brethren. In the New Testament, we are together uh, for those that have received Christ as their Lord and Savior. We live in in something called the New Covenant, and the New Covenant is not a covenant of commands and laws. It's a covenant in which it was sealed by the blood of Christ. It's a supernatural covenant, and when we become a part of that covenant. Then there is something special about being a, a part of the brethren, and, and I'm not just talking about Baptists and Presbyterian and Methodists or Calvary Chapel. It's those that receive Christ, that worship Christ, that hold Christ as the center focus, that their worship is based on something that is profound in the Word of God. And in that type of unity, it's important that it goes beyond denominational lines. That unity, it's so important that it goes beyond some of the variances and the distinctives that each church has, and that's okay. Just like your family, right? Your family, there's certain things about your family that is different than other families. In fact, when you play Monopoly with other families, those distinctives really come, like, do you throw all the money in Park Place, free parking, I mean, like we do. Like, you get fined, and we just keep putting it in the pot. And that's called house rules, so that when someone lands on that free parking, you get that pot. And that, like, that takes someone from last place and it jumps them sometimes up to first place. But then we play families sometimes that are just, just Pharisees when it comes to the rules. And like, no, that's, that is not in the rules. And the rules say this and the rules say that. Okay, you know, we could still have fun. There's differences, but we're still playing the same game. You know, the most important thing is that when Jesus is Lord of all, some people believe that the rapture, you know, it's right around the corner. Other people don't even believe in a rapture. There's some people that believe that speaking in tongues is a part of what we do because the Holy Spirit fills us. And some people say, no, the, whole, the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. And if you're doing that, then, then you know, that's kind of weird. And you know what? The unity that we have in Christ has to be greater than some of those differences Again, it's good to have those distinctives. When we look at the Bible and I, I read that, I realize hey, if, if it's in the New Testament, it's in the book of 1 Corinthians and Paul is telling the church in Corinth, this is how you speak in tongues, then it must mean that that's something that is available to the body of Christ today for the church. But if someone doesn't believe that, I'm okay with that. And I'm not looking at them as second class Christians. I'm not looking at them as less than me or below me. I'm looking at them as like, I don't think you're right, but that's okay, I love you anyway. And they might look at me like, hey, I don't think you're right, but I love you anyway. And that's that place in that pleasantness that it's good for brethren to dwell together in unity. To dwell together, it means to know each other, to live together. It It, it is not a theoretical thing that means we could be unified in Christ and keep a safe distance. And sometimes... Um, I understand for the sake of unity, at times doing that, you know, you look at Abraham and Lot parting ways, or or even Paul and Barnabas parting ways, but really, when it comes to loving one another, Jesus said, all people will know that you're my disciples by what? Your love for one another. Not Jesus did not say, they're going to know you're my disciples because you guys don't fight physically you guys keep a safe distance you don't talk to each other and you don't get in wars with each other then people are going to know you're my disciples by that no jesus said by our love for one another there's something about the quality of that love that it must come in contact with others because love if it's true love won't be distant it will seek to come in contact together now again there's going to be differences and and Sometimes, for peace, I, I could understand people going different ways. But really, that that ideal where the gurgling joy, the pleasantness comes from, is when people dwell together in unity. For us in the New Covenant, it's unity in Christ. In Ephesians chapter four, it talks about that one body. Uh, we're reminded that it's a unity in a Christian family, brothers and sisters. You know, we have the same Father. It's a unity of truth, a unity of belief. We believe the same word. It's a unity of purpose. It says in Ephesians four eleven through 13, that he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. And listen to this, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God. So unity is something that even the gifts within the body of Christ are meant to build that unity. The gifts in the body of Christ, and we have different gifts, don't we? I mean, some of your gifts are a lot different than my gifts. And you know what? That's such a blessing. I think part of the way that we're blessed is when we don't have to be like someone else. There is a freedom in being who God created you to be, because there's not two Billy Grams. there's one Billy Graham. And if you're trying to become Billy Graham, then there's something wrong because God created one Billy Graham. And he didn't create two of you because you are unique and God has a purpose for you. But in that, in that diversity, the unity of Christ should be something that we don't just think about, but we strive toward. It's something that we build toward. And we try to look at areas where we could become more unified and and areas that, that hinder unity, we need to break those down. Think about the song that we sang this morning. Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul. You know, one of the things that we sang, have your way in me. And if you have a husband and you have a wife that is saying, God, I surrender to you, have your way in me, I submit to you, then what happens is unity starts to happen as one blesses the other and one submits to the other and the other submits to to one another in love. Now, the next part of the psalm goes on to talk about what that unity looks like. It begins in verse two by saying, it is like the precious oil upon the head. What is the oil upon the head? Running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. This um, oil that went from Aaron's head to his beard, and then it says running down on the edge of his garments. The oil was a holy anointing oil. It was something that as Aaron was meant to be the priest, that this oil represented God's presence. It was commanded by God. It was based on God's standards. It was anointing from God through Moses. Moses was the one that was to anoint uh, Aaron as that high priest, so there was order even in worship, and it says, and the oil was uh, was sweet. There was this aroma about it, there was a perfume about it, there was a, a a diffusive quality to it. And so, one of the questions, when I consider this oil upon the head, and then the beard, and then running down to the edge of the garments, um. It, it, sometimes when we anoint people with oil, we have, in fact, this oil, it's a oil, it has frankincense and myrrh in it, so it smells great, and, and whenever I smell it, it reminds me of praying for people, or maybe a baby dedication, or maybe when someone is sick, or when someone is ordained, there's this this smell about it, but we usually take a little dab, because we want to be you know, we we don't want their clothes to be stained, right? So we just take a little dab and put it on the forehead. That's enough. That's what it represents. But Aaron's head, it was poured on his head. This oil came down his head, and then it came into his beard, and then it dripped to his, his garments. So wherever Aaron went, the smell of that oil was very, um, it, it was very evident. And smells have a way... Uh, as far as the senses are concerned with our memory, uh, uh, the smell is so associated with emotion. You may not realize it, but uh, when we landed in the Philippines, there's a certain smell. And and Paul, you you understand that now. Next time you go, when you, if you smell that smell, they're memories. It's like a Christmas tree. If you like fresh cut Christmas trees and you cut your own tree, that smell brings back all kinds of memories. It's tied to that. And God wanted that, smell that aroma to remind them of worship to remind them of who he is to remind them of his presence in their lives so the question for us is this what is the aroma that we give off to other people is it this aroma of unity is it this aroma of god's presence in our lives or or is it an aroma of anger an aroma of frustration is it aroma of bitterness? Is it an aroma of, of legalism? Like you have to attain and, and jump through all these hoops and get to this place for me to be on the same level as, as you or, or vice versa. And so we have to ask ourselves, even as a church, what is the aroma? Is there that kind of unity that is there that it's, a, it, it's diffusive, not divisive? Okay, diffusive, it means it diffuses. Divisive is also an aroma that is very noticeable. And God wants us to diffuse the aroma of Christ. Not pity divisions and factions and power struggles. Um, That should never happen in a body of believers and even within a Christian family. So how is the oil of the Holy Spirit diffused in your life and the life of the church? Well, in this case, it went from Moses who poured it on the head and then it went down on the beard. Now, the best that I could do is stubble. Like, like some oil running down on stubble. I'm Filipino, so, so that's the best that I could do. But then from there, uh, the beard of Aaron, and then down on the garments. So notice that it went from God to Moses, Moses to, to Aaron, Aaron to the priesthood, to the people, and really it's God to the saints, and, and it's the saints to the unsaved. That aroma, we're to reach out to people that don't know Christ. There should be an aroma that they, when they're around us, they should sense this well-being, acceptance and love. Not acceptance of lifestyle necessarily, if lifestyle is sinful, but an acceptance of the person and a love of that person. And see, sometimes as Christians, we don't have that kind of aroma. Sometimes as Christians, the aroma that we have is an aroma that that comes across as judgmental or an aroma that comes across as harsh or an aroma that comes across as legalistic. Jesus never had that aroma. In fact, Jesus was accused of eating with tax collectors and notorious sinners. I, I think that that's an important thing for us as Christians, that in a sense, we could be accused of loving people so much that we're reaching out to them and spending time with them. Because love is not seen in separation. Love is seen in drawing together. And yes, there are times when someone can be so anti-God or such a stumbling block to me in what they do that I don't wanna participate in that. And those are some friendships that I need to have at a distance because I know my own weaknesses but if we separate ourselves from every form of fellowship or every form of, of outreach, of meeting with people that don't know the Lord, then we're doing, we're doing something the opposite of what Jesus did. And it was the religious community that really accused Jesus of eating with tax collectors and notorious sinners. The oil that was, was brought um, in the Leviticus 8.10, it says, Moses took the anointing oil he anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times. He anointed the altar and all its utensils and the laver and its base to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Now in this unity, we realize that even between Moses and Aaron, things weren't always smooth. In fact, you remember when Moses went up to the mountain to receive the commandments of God, Aaron's there and the people are like, hey, who is this Moses anyway? Uh, they, you know, we, Let's get together. And they started bringing their jewelry and they formed this golden calf. And it's funny when Moses comes down the mountain, Aaron's like, oh, we just threw the jewelry in and this came out, you know, like this just happened. But you know, I see this forgiveness that happens with Moses as well. There's a unity that happens that sometimes in order for us to be unified with other people, it means we have to die to self. It means we have to forgive. How am I unified with Christ? By him dying and forgiving me. That's how I'm unified to Christ. I'm not not unified to Christ by me climbing up to him. In fact, one of the things that I taught in the Philippines is I talked about how there's two religions. How, uh, you know, uh, people can call it Catholicism or they can call it, you know, um, Protestantism or they could call it um, Islam or they can call it Buddhism And some religions at times are people trying to get to God. Like, I need to do all of these things. I need to get baptized. I need to give. I need to stop drinking. I need to stop doing, you know, sleeping around. I need to do all these things. Then I could come to God. And that's man-made religion. That's us trying to be good enough to get to God. Religion means to relink to God. But the true religion is this. God knew that we can't do it. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. So Christ came down to us to reach out to us, and that's true religion. He's the one that came down to, to us as the form of a man. And when did he come? He came at a time when there wasn't, you know, hospitals, the way that we have hospitals and hygiene. I mean, he hiked with these guys. Men, fishermen in sandals, walking miles in the heat, going to the bathroom outdoors without deodorant. I mean, these this is... Jesus came down to us. So it's not about us climbing up to him. So when it comes to this anointing oil that comes, it comes in many ways through forgiveness and and at times of disagreement, saying we're gonna agree to disagree. And there may be people in the body of Christ that have a little bit different beliefs than I do, but I'm not gonna make that a sticking issue unless it gets into the word of God being compromised as far as it being the infallible word of God or salvation or who Christ is or the essence of who Jesus is and how we're saved. Now, those are, those are real issues still to love the person, but to say, hey, I can't, I can't fellowship with you in the same way and worship the same way because we're on two different foundations fully. Christ is the foundation. So the next illustration is it's like the dew of, of Mount Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. So it's not just like the oil upon Aaron's head and beard and garments. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon. Um, Mount Hermon, the, the Mount Hermon is really a, a range. It's a mountain range in Israel. And when the dew comes down on Mount Hermon, the amazing thing that happens is it seeps into the ground. If rain falls on Mount Hermon, it seeps into the ground. And then it forms this underground uh, well and river. And you know where it comes up? It comes up at the fountainhead of the Jordan River. The Jordan River feeds Israel and it comes right through the middle of the valley. But where does that water start? It starts in Mount Hermon. Now, people look to the Jordan River get baptized in the Jordan River, look at the Jordan River as this wonderful body of water that replenishes and refreshes. But really the water from that comes from the dew of Mount Hermon seeping into the ground. And I think that that's a great illustration because the distribution of blessing, the distribution of refreshment, of God's grace and love and mercy and abundance. Sometimes people may not notice where the dew comes from, so they attribute it to God, and when we bless other people, and we, in our lives, seek to be a blessing to others, hopefully, by them getting to know us, they'll see that, okay, the blessing came from this tributary in a person's life. The blessing came from this one parent that just encouraged me today. The blessing came from this this coworker that just came alongside that's where the blessing came from but then when you get to know the person you find out that the root of it is God's blessing in their life so like the dew of mount hermon descending upon the mountains of zion and notice what it says it's there that the lord commanded the blessing life forevermore it's there that god commanded the blessing it's in unity that blessing comes. Because when we're in unity and we're in fellowship and Christ is the center, that's where the true blessings come in fellowship. And then it says life forevermore. And so we, we look at the blessing of unity. The first thing that we saw was goodness. Behold how good. There's goodness that comes from that unity. In fact, outside of that unity, if I'm going to be a Lone Ranger Christian and I'm not going to be accountable to anyone else and I'm not going to share my life with anyone else, goodness is really hard to live by because there are so many other things that can pull us away from what is good. Goodness comes in that unified place and then there's pleasure in unity. When we're unified, there is fun. Fun is a good thing. Sometimes People, don't let don't let the devil hijack the word fun. To think this, God is gonna take away all my fun. Uh, if you if you see these pastors that were together playing darts, just laughing and having fun, you realize something. Fun is really a part of what God built into us. I love to see um, people having fun, uh, people getting to know friends just together having fun, families having fun, um, people within the body of Christ having fun. There's there's pleasure, there's joy in it. Now, you're not gonna have that same level of connectedness with every believer, but I want you to think about the believers in your life that you feel the most connected to and how when you're with them, it's just like, the weight from your shoulders, it's just... Wow, I could relax. I could be me because they know me and there's just this unity and we could just be ourselves and there's this acceptance, there's this love. There's not this guardedness of being judged or judging an, another. There's this, this pleasure that comes along with that. There is also the blessing of unity that is the anointing. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. How is that power of the Holy Spirit um, how is it carried out in the life of the body of Christ? It's through that unity in Christ. And, it, and if we are unified in Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit is evident. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is evident. It's also the blessing of unity is the dew. It's refreshment. We're refreshed by that. We, we uh, take heart in it. Why do the Jews in this time pilgrimage to Jerusalem? I mean, that's, that's a tough thing. I'm gonna shut down the office. I'm gonna shut down the fruit stand. I'm gonna shut down the farm. We're gonna pack up. We're gonna get all the kids together. We're gonna get suitcases. We're gonna take some animals. We're gonna go. We're gonna hike. We're gonna walk a long way through desert and it's going to be difficult. Why? It's because there's refreshment in doing it. It's kind of like camping. I know not all of you are campers, so you won't get this. For those of you that are campers, you get it. When you go camping, don't you just feel refreshed? Like all the hard work and and non-campers are going, you guys are crazy. You know, you guys are ridiculous. Why do you do that? But if you are a camper, you understand when you pitch a tent by a lake and you wake up in the morning and it's just still, You worked so hard, you had to pack, you had to get all the food, set up the tent, do all of these things, get the sleeping bags, the lanterns, you know, get bug spray, get firewood, um, pack up all these things. But you know what? It's refreshment because you're there and you're together and you have a good time and you see God's creation. Refreshment comes in that blessing of unity. The greatest thing about camping is being just together at times. It's God's blessing that is commanded there. That's where God commanded the blessing. That also means that if I'm disunified, there's some blessing that is also withheld. If I'm disunified, there is some blessing that is withheld. And and then life, now and eternal, life forevermore, not a dead religion. And let me explain it in this way. The life that God desires for us, when there is the blessing of unity and community within a body of Christ, within a family, it's not just exemplary. This is what we want to strive towards. It is essential. Let me give you the difference. Exemplary, like, oh yeah, there's a lot of families, a lot of churches, and you know, it's cool if we would be a unified family or a unified church, but we don't have to have that. No, you know what? It's essential in the body of Christ. It's a part of God's very character that would characterize those who are followers of Christ as their love for one another. Now, I want you to turn with me just briefly to the book of Acts chapter four because I want to leave us with a picture of what it looked like in the early church in Acts chapter four beginning with verse 32. In Acts chapter four, we've just seen um, in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit given to the church, that was Pentecost. We've seen Peter and and John uh, put in prison and then released from prison. Uh, We've seen uh, the Sanhedrin um, telling Peter, hey, you better not preach. We've seen persecution arise. All of these things that have happened. And then in Acts chapter four, verse 32, it says this. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Now just listen to that verse for a second. Multitude. How many believers were there at this time? Thousands okay, thousands of believers by Acts chapter four. Thousands of believers, one heart, one heart. So thousands and yet one heart. And then it says, they had one soul. The word for heart, cardia. The word for soul, suke. one mindset. They, they thought in the same way. Now, were they different? absolutely. Absolutely. Um, You had accountants probably there and you had artists. And I think those are pretty different people. Uh, (laughs) There are very few people that are both accountant and artists, but there were accountants and there were artists. There were musicians there and and there were administrators. There were all kinds of different people. And again, some people bridge the gap of both, but yet they had one heart and they had one soul. And notice that individually, this is not communism handed down from Peter. It says, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Which means that every individual believer had to have this same mindset. This is not just my stuff. This is to help others. What I own, I have a lawnmower. Do you need to borrow my lawnmower? Yours is broken. Not, oh, what a bummer. You need to buy a lawnmower. But it's loaning that lawnmower to someone else. They had this mindset that each one of them said, Hey, whatever I have, you guys could use. It says they had all things in common. There was this incredible koinonia fellowship. And then in verse 33, so there was great power, mega power happened in this unity, there was mega power. The apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The power wasn't just to have power, but it was to testify of Jesus. And then notice what else was present. So there was great unity, there was great power, and great grace was upon them all. One of the things that brings unity is grace. Grace. A lack of grace, disunity. Much grace brings unity. let me give you an illustration of what this looks like. If in order for me to have unity with someone else, that there is this performance base that they must live up to, and once they blow it, and that one time they blow it, then I write them off. And now in my mind, they're in the compartment, the compartment of the the ones that need to earn back my approval. It's no longer grace. When we cover people with grace, undeserved, unmerited favor, that means, yeah, they don't deserve it. If I'm saying, I'll give grace as soon as they deserve it. You know, I'll give them grace as soon as they earn it. As soon as they stop acting like that, I will be gracious to them. Then guess what? That's not grace. Grace happens, and the way that we are brought into fellowship with God is because of his great grace towards us. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. None of us do. That's God's grace. When that happens, we experience the power of God to give witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And then it says in verse 34, nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and they brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and notice the trust and they laid them at the apostles feet and they, the apostles distributed to each one as anyone had need. They didn't say, okay, um, Apostle Peter, I am designating this check as long as it doesn't go to help her. I'm giving this to you, but I don't like her. And and you could use it however you think you should use it, except don't don't use it for her. So there was this trust that happened because they were very trustworthy. Now, there is also something that breaks down unity, and, and we're not gonna read the whole story, but you know in Acts chapter five, if this were a movie, all of the chords are major chords up to this time—happy songs, uh, a ballad. Uh, it's the part of um, a theme song, you know, like "Star Dun Dun Da 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 Dun Dun Da Da Da." you know, it's like yeah, this is great. But by the time you get to Acts chapter five, minor chords. If you're a musician. Those are the songs that you listen to after you break up. And you just like, you sulk in it and you just listen to the sad songs. This is what happens in Acts chapter five. This guy named Barnabas, he sold his field, sold everything he had, gave it to the apostles. He became obedient to the faith. It was well known because this guy was a Levite, which was a priest. Most of the priests were not landowners because they weren't allowed to own any land of their Um, inheritance he might have had some other land that might have been legal for him to have but it was well known but when he sold it because it was a public thing that people realized and he gave all all of his you know money and said hey i just want to serve the lord it says that everyone was encouraged and they gave him a nickname you know what they called him his name was Joseph, and they started to call him barnabas you know what barnabas means it means son of encouragement wasn't that a cool nickname I, i do any of you have nicknames Raise your hand if you have a nickname. All right. Tony, what's your nickname? All right, Tony. (laughs) Someone, anyone else have like a, 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 yeah, TJ. Anyone else have like another nickname? Candy, what's your real name? Rosalie. Rosalie. Candy, all right. So that's that's a sweet nickname, right? (laughs) Candy, it's Rosalie, but Candy, probably because of your sweetness, I I would figure, you know? And, And there's, imagine Barnabas gets a nickname. And Ananias and Sapphira see that Barnabas gets a nickname. And I think that they're saying, We want a nickname. We we want people to see us that way. And people were encouraged by Barnabas. So Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted two things. They wanted, number one, to keep some of their money. But number two, they wanted a reputation as giving all of their money. So they sold their land, they sold their their, uh, possessions. And after they sold them, what happened is they brought it to the apostles. And they brought the proceeds as though they had brought all of it. But God made it aware to Peter that they really didn't give it all. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And then what happens is that Ananias dies and then Sapphira comes and Peter says, Sapphira, did you sell the land for so much? And she says, yes, for so much. And he says, why have you conspired together to lie uh, against the Holy Spirit? And then she dies. So let me end with this. Some of the things that can break down unity is jealousy. Ananias and Sapphira were jealous of Barnabas. Everyone's looking at Barnabas. Wow, son of encouragement. They gave him a nickname. Wow, he's doing so much for the body of Christ. Let's do that. A spirit of competition and comparison. You know, that could break down siblings, right? Sibling rivalry, that's somewhat normal, brothers and sisters, you know. But if we allow that to fester, you have Jacob and Esau. If you allow it to fester, you have Cain and Abel. You allow it to fester. You have within a family disunity. Comparison and, and competition. And as a father or mother looking at your kids and comparing them one to another, that breaks down unity. And the same thing can happen in the body of Christ. A spirit of competition and comparison. Hey, we, we've got to do things better than that church. We've got to be better than them at this thing. That will break down unity. We should rejoice with those who rejoice, Right? We should be blessed when other ministries are growing and prospering. Praise God, and we should pray for them. And yet, in the same way, say, hey, you know what? That should inspire us if there's things we could learn or things that some people can learn about us. And we should never get this spirit of pride when we're doing things well, and another group of people isn't doing them as well, as though to say, oh, look, we now are better than them. That breaks down unity. The mask of hypocrisy Hypocrisy is to throw an act so that people think one thing about what is really happening on the inside of the heart. The masks that we would wear, um, in, in actually in drama at the Discovery Museum in San Jose, I had my kids put these masks on and stare at this mirror. And the mask is those classic uh, masks. Have you seen them with a the sad face and one with a happy face? And the little experiment says, put the happy face on and look at yourself in the mirror for a while. And try to frown and it's difficult because the reality of who you are is different than the mask. And then it says put on the, the other you know, face and, and frown and that was hard to do also. It feels weird because you look at yourself and you see that, but that mask is a portrayal to other people of the inward reality. That's what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy will break down unity because someone will think they're unified but they're really not unified because there's really someone behind a mask. Ananias and Sapphira were were doing this. And then finally, when self takes center stage, it breaks down unity. When it becomes all about us, when it becomes all about me, what are people thinking about me? I I pray, God, break me from the bondage of self-consciousness. Break me from the bondage of self-consciousness. I mean, obviously, to a certain degree, (laughs) You should be somewhat self-conscious. Hey, I kind of stink, you know, that's okay. You could change that. But there are other things that sometimes in our self-conscious, instead of thinking about other people, we're too busy thinking about me, thinking about us. And when self takes center stage, it breaks down unity. So as we desire God's blessing as God's people, Remember that the opposite of hypocrisy is sincerity. It's being real. Hypocrisy is the opposite of integrity. Integrity is uh, taken from the root word integer, which is a whole number. A fraction is a part of a number. An integer in math is what? It's a whole number. When we have integrity and we have sincerity, then there's blessing in that. Unity starts to form. And, And remember that Um, sincerity. When they would have, and and next week I'm going to show you the picture, when they would have a statue, and that statue, if if they were chiseling it out and it broke, imagine you're almost done. You are almost done, this giant piece of granite, and you have chiseled it for months, and you're working on the finer aspects of the human nostril, and you go clink, and the nose comes off. (gasps) Oh no! You have to start over with a giant piece of granite, or They would crush up that broken piece of rock into powder. They would mix it with wax and they would put it back on in this fake nose and they would sell the statue in the market and they would come and they would look at it and someone would buy it and then they would bring it home and on a really hot day, the nose would melt right off and the word sincere means without wax, without wax. May we be people without wax so that who we are is who we are And that we would be the same person in private as we are in public. And we could pray, God, please bring unity. Unify us first of all with him. Our fellowship is first of all with God. And as I have that fellowship with God, and there's no barriers because I'm not hiding things from him, I'm just open to him. The next thing that can happen is I could begin to have that kind of unity and fellowship with others. So I pray that for all of us, that God would bless us with that unity. Amen? Amen. Amen father this morning we want to thank you for psalm 133 because this morning it reminds us of the blessedness of unity lord it reminds us of the refreshing like the the dew upon mount Hermon, that goes deep that goes below the surface and it springs up in the jordan river father we want to thank you for the blessedness of unity like the diffused oil that runs from Aaron's head to his beard, to his garments, that wherever Aaron went, that people could smell it. And Lord, we want the aroma of Christ in our lives. We want the aroma of love and grace, of truth. And Lord, at times when it means speaking the truth in love as Peter did, that you would give us the strength and the courage to do that. I pray, Lord, that, when we look at the examples of Ananias and Sapphira, that we wouldn't see ourselves in comparison to others, but Lord, we would see ourselves in comparison to you. So Lord, all of us fall short. None of us is perfect. And so Lord, we need your grace. We need your forgiveness. And Lord, would you change those things about us that we cannot change in and of ourselves? Would you change, Lord, that judgmental attitude? Father, would you change the grudge that is there maybe because of past hurt? God, would you change the legalistic mindset that is performance-based that causes people to be uneasy in our presence? Lord, would you change the way that we see others so that we would see them through your eyes? And Jesus, when you do that, We thank you that it's there that you proclaim the blessing, life forevermore. And I pray that in us that people would see Christ. I pray, Lord, that in us there would be that sweet smelling aroma that this person is different and I wanna know why. What is it? And that they would know that it is Christ and not ourselves. So we humble ourselves before you, Lord, and we love you. We ask that you would cleanse our hearts, that you would unify us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.